This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by myself. It is from the book of Amos. Uh, if you head over to our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com, you can see all of our archived Shabbat messages, and you can also subscribe to them wherever you get your podcasts. Also on our website, you can read uh, my dad's weekly essays that he puts up, and you can subscribe to those if you put your email in the little email subscribe box. Uh, currently, we are still not meeting in the building, so if you're listening to this real time, do not try to come to Newfields and meet with us in the church. Uh, because we are not there. Hopefully, we will be back soon. Uh, things will be updated on the website accordingly. So, uh, our theme music, as always, is by my buddy Evan Shaw. Uh, you can find his music at evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. All right, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. If you want to turn to Amos, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, I'm going to try to go through the whole book. <laughs> but kind of topographically, we're not going to read everything. I want to I want to get a summary and an overview of it because I think it's... I, it's everybody of the book, I always feel redundant when I say this, but I think it's really important. Like, like parts of the Bible aren't important, but... But I think it is important, especially because he's dealing with, as we get into it, he's dealing with Israel and Judah specifically, more specifically Israel, but he talks about them. And, um, and, and the judgment that's going to come on them because of their leaving off of justice and righteousness and the word of God and the covenants and their idolatry and the infiltration of idolatry and wickedness into the into the community and because of that he just doesn't spare any expense in 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 his punishment of the people and i don't think it's going to be any different for us especially as we head into the end times because though the end times i believe is is about the wicked and we tend to focus on the mark of the beast and the antichrist and all of that it's it's I tend to look at it from, or try to look at it from the other point of view, that it's really about the, the, the purifying of God's people for the coming of, of the king, for the return of Yeshua. And there's always judgment related to that, to those people who don't uh, obey. And, and so, you know, as we're going to read in here, there's, there's a certain group of people that thinks they're going to be spared from it all. And I think that's, uh, especially within modern day religiosity, Christianity, we have a whole group of people that think that in Christianity that we're, you know, going to be taken out of any trial. And, and while we will not face the wrath of God and utter destruction, there's always consequences and punishment for sin. And uh, there's a whole lot of that in God's people, unfortunately, and he's going to have to deal with that. So, so we're going to try to get through this somewhat quickly, and um, hopefully it's a blessing. So let's 
pray, and then we'll begin. So, Heavenly Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this Shabbat. Thank you that we can be together and meet, and that we can read from your word. I pray that you would just help us to learn, uh, to apply to our hearts and our lives, and go forth and be lights for you. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. So, real quickly, it starts off in chapter 1. I'm not going to start too much time there, but basically... He says, Amos, you know, he hears from God and he says in verse 2, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And then you, you go through chapter 1 and there's these, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, and verse 6, three transgressions of Gaza and for four, verse 9, three transgressions of Tyrus and four, Edom, verse 11, uh, Ammon, verse 13, and then you get into chapter 2, verse 1, he's, he's, uh, He's pronouncing punishment of Moab. And then you get into verse 4, and it says, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment there, because they have despised the law of Yehovah, and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err, after which their fathers have walked. But I will send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. And he says in verse 6, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold righteousness for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. And so that, and then it goes on and talks about all of the, all of the wicked things that they do. Um, and so it's kind of the who is what we're having going on. I break down the whole book into a few sections. You've got who, God's effort, judgment, what to do, idolatry, the people's state uh, of things, and uh, the final judgment and redemption. So this is kind of the who he's talking to. He's talking about all those nations surrounding Israel, but then he also finishes up with talking about Judah and Israel. And his main issue with Judah is they have despised the law of Yehovah and they have not kept his commandments and their lies caused them to err after which their fathers have walked. And so they've allowed to fall the commandments of God and his judgments and his word and they haven't maintained it and been in it and learning it and doing it. And that's kind of what has happened in, in Christianity today. We all tend to do it on every spectrum and end of the religious circle. We, we cling to lies and thing, information that's not from the Word of God, be it uh, the Old Testament's done away with, the Torah's done away with, or the New Testament isn't true and we don't need to follow that either, or certain books need to be taken out, you know, all kinds of, of crazy stuff. Um, and then Israel, they talk about, it says in verse uh, 6, they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. And so they have forsaken righteousness. They've turned away from God's standard of judgment on what's right and wrong. And I think that's permeated today horribly because we, uh, just like them, have allowed idolatry and foreign influence to creep into our lives where we're getting our information from and that conditions the way that we think and the way that we look at things. We, I would say collectively, are no longer a people of the book. God's people used to be considered the people of the book because it was the most important things in their lives. When the Puritans came over, they left because they felt like they were under religious subjugation. You know, they were being uh, squashed. And so they came over and they one of the reasons why America had such a high literacy is because they wanted people to be able to read so they could read their Bibles because they knew if they could read and be in the Word of God, freedom and justice and righteousness would prevail. 
And so if, okay, cool, the devil knows that we can all read. So instead of, he can't get rid of our Bibles. He can't stop us from reading. They tried to do that during the dark ages. So what do you do? You flood the market and you give people what you want. So we all have shiny little things in our pockets. We have TVs and we have media and mediums galore that are attractive and shiny. And they, it's not even just that they're drawing our way our attention. They're actually manipulating actively manipulating the way we think about things, the way that we interact with things, so that then when we try to get back into our Bibles, we can't even get our minds to focus on it anymore. I don't know about you guys, but it's like, unless I I am disciplined and, uh, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Intentional. Intentional about carving out a certain amount of time and making sure there's nothing electronic on so I don't get onto it and go down a rabbit hole of something, I, the time will evaporate away and my mind will go all over the place. And I personally believe too, if we don't do it in the morning, it just isn't gonna happen. And, and so one of the things that I'm learning to do is be more intentional about my life and my time. And unfortunately, a lot of this, the, the world's doing a better job about it than we are. They're not focusing on the Bible, but they're focusing on improving their lives, improving their diet, improving their habits, their time usage, what they're, you know, spending their, their focus on. But we as the world, we're running to and fro, as we're going to see, uh, seeking after knowledge and interesting things while we go nowhere and do nothing productive. And, and that's exactly what Satan wants, because if you can keep us away from the word, keep away, away from judgment and righteousness, and keep us attracted to everything else, all the other idols that we allow into our life, because an idol is anything that keeps us from obeying and serving God, he's won the war. He's, we're doing his work for him because he wants to tear apart families. He wants to tear people's lives apart. He wants to sow discord and chaos and confusion into our minds. And so if he can do that, and if we allow that to happen, uh, we only serve face judgment because it's our fault that, that those things happen. God holds his people accountable for what they do. And so uh, he allows basically all these foreign influences to come in and bring us down and take us down because we have chosen through the free will he's allowed us to have to not obey him because it all goes back to the beginning. He gave them choice and they chose the shiny fruit because it was pleasurable to the eyes and good for knowledge and they would be like God. You know, the hard path, the path of discipline and ultimate reward and, and where you walk with God is in the tree of life. Anyway. So let's keep going. So he, he's going to punish them. So let's keep going here. So he God's effort, what he does, verses 11 and 12. I raised up for, this is in chapter 2, I raised up for of your sons for prophets and your children, men of the Nazarites. Uh, is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. And then he goes on saying, I'm pressured unto you. It's like, I've had enough of you, basically. So he's saying, I sent prophets of your own children. I raised up Nazarites, those who have set themselves apart unto God to serve him specifically. And all you did was you tear, tore that down. They said, don't speak to us the word of God. Don't prophesy. And the Nazarites, they gave them wine, which would you, you couldn't drink wine as a Nazarite because it would defile you and break your vow. And so that's what the people do in response to God's effort. And so in verse 3, 2 through 3, he says, 
Hear the word that Yehovah has spoken unto you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up out of the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? So he says, You're the only ones that I've known of the families of the whole earth, and I brought you out of Egypt. So of course I'm going to require at your hand for your dis disobedience unto me. Because can two walk together? It's, it's a rhetorical question. No, they can't walk together unless they be agreed. There's dissension. There's, there's, there's discord. So he's going to pronounce a whole lot of... Uh, <laughs> and some of, I love the phraseology that's in here. And I wish I knew Hebrew and the... But I think the King James does a pretty good job of, of making it quite quite clear with what he want what he's going to do. Um, so, oh, verse seven: Surely Yehovah, the Lord Yehovah, will do nothing but He revealeth His servants, revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophets. So He always He the people are not without excuse. You can't say, "Oh, I didn't know." It's like, no, you chose not to. So. Uh, some of the judgment that he pronounces on his people. Verse 12, Yehovah said, As a shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, in Damascus, in the couch. <laughs> so in other words, I'm going to tear you in pieces. I don't know if you've ever seen, the closest thing we've probably seen is like, you know how a cat catches something and all you see is like there's a teeny little leg and some entrails. That's about the only thing that's left. In other words, that's what God's saying is going to be left of his people when he gets done with them. That in the day I will visit the transgressions of Israel upon him. Verse 14. I will also visit the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will smoke the winter house and the summer house. He's, he is going to destroy that which they filled their lives with for meaning, information, insight. Everything that they built, this edifice they built around them the constructs will crumble away. And I think that's what is the part of the leading up into the end times is, is this crumbling away and this judgment upon um, what what we have built. Because there's the, he, he writes to the seven churches and pronounces all these things against them. I think we tend to think, well, well I'm not going to be in one of those. Or we'll be gone before that happens. I don't know what people tend to think. But the reality is, no, we need to wake up a bit here. Okay. Because God, like... He pronounces judgment on, if you've read the Bible, he pronounces judgment on the nations, but he reserves a, reserves a special place for his people who don't obey. <laughs> and so, let's keep going. Uh, chapter 4. So, more judgment. This is all kind of the judgment. 2. Yehovah God hath sworn by his, the Lord Yehovah hath sworn by his holiness that lo, the days shall come upon you, and he will take you away with hooks, and your posterity with flat fish hooks. And then jump down to 6. I love this. This is such beautiful writing. Uh, and I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in your places. Yet ye have not turned unto me, saith Yehovah. In other words, your teeth will be clean because you won't be eating. <laughs> Seven, I've withholding the rain from you. And then he goes down into nine. I've smitten you with blasting mildew. Your gardens, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees increased. The power, but the worms devoured them. Yet you have not returned unto me. So they're not getting the message. You know, we, 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 we have forgotten, and I have to keep reminding myself that we are in the exile. 
the exile is punishment, it's not a good place to be, and we're doing time because of sin. We're supposed to be learning a lesson. Yet we have built, not that we shouldn't live our lives. When they were in Babylon, they were to build houses, plant vineyards, and just bide their time. But, but we're supposed to understand it's supposed to be tinged with bitterness because we're not supposed to be here. And it's, we're being punished because of sin. And so we need to remember that. And we need to return unto God because of that. It needs to, it should make us double down in our efforts. Not run true and fro trying to friggin' build up an internet ministry. You know, and subscribe to my... Anyway. Okay. Uh, so, he, I mean, he, and he, he just keeps going. It doesn't get better. 11. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet you have not returned unto me. So there's one, two, three... There's, he's three times he says, you've not returned unto me within this sub, uh, section that I'm calling judgment. In verse 9, yet you have not returned unto me. And then 10, I have sent among you the pestilence after the man of Egypt, yet you have not returned unto me. Verse 11, I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, yet you have not returned unto me. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, Israel. And because I do this, uh, I will do this unto thee. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. <laughs> That's terrible. That's just terrible. I mean, the things that he says, he's going to withhold rain. He's going to, he's going to tear them in pieces. Back in chapter three, he's going to with, uh, he's going to withhold all the food from them so they won't be eating. Uh, he's going to take them away with hooks. Their what does grow is going to be uh, devoured. And yet, for all these things, and then he and then he pronounces some of the pestilence of Egypt are going to be on them. Uh, the destruction that God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah is going to come on them, um, and and so they, but they, they they don't they're, they're not returning unto Him. So we we're we need to learn from these lessons that God is sp- speaking here. Okay, keep going. So, verse five. What are we supposed to do? Um, seven of chapter five. You who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth, seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion and turn the shadow of death in the morning and make the blah, 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 blah. So we're supposed to seek God. We're supposed to turn unto him. And, uh, and then if you drop down to uh, 14, it says, Seek good and not evil that you may live, and God will be with you. 15, hate evil and love good. Establish just judgment in the gate. It may be that Yehovah, God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So, like I was talking about, we need to be diligent. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, I read these books about how to, you know, I guess you could categorize them business or self-help books. And, um, you know, they talk about ways to help you do, do better. Be, you know, basically just do what you're supposed to do in your life. And so I have this one that's a habit tracker. Boy, that's not fun to look at at the end of a month. <laughs> but it's a good practice to do so that you can have something in you, right in front of your face so that you see what you're doing and what you're actually not doing. Uh, and, and it's a pretty stark reminder of, you know, day in and day out. Because I think I know, I speak for myself, I tend to think I'm a lot better at doing things than I really am. Because then I look back at my... My, my, you know, monthly tracker, and it's like, nah, I only, 
did like 10 days out of 30, you know, of, of, and I, I'm patting myself on the back. So we're supposed to seek good. We need to be in God's word diligently. We need to structure our entire lives. And that's part of what was cool about initially coming into the uh, Messianic movement. And, 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 but I, but, but you, you get worn down by life and you get less vigilant and you, you stop doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. So you come into the Messianic movement and you start to build your life around the Sabbath, specifically a lot of times. And you think about the festivals and holidays, and you got to take time off. And if you're really going to prepare yourself for the Sabbath, you have to set up your whole week work schedule, your family life schedule, your whole life has to revolve around that. Then if you break it down even a little bit more and you're going to actually spend time in God's word every day, you have to start building the structure of your life around that and be disciplined for it to make it happen because everything's vying for your time and energy. And it's just so easy to slide into not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you have to prioritize, be disciplined, and work hard at it and fight for that. And, and start learning to say no to yourself and to others who would compromise that. And so that means... You're the only retard that's going to bed at 8.30 because you got to get up and read your Bible in the morning. Well, then you have to do that or suffer the consequences of being tired the next day. You know, stop making excuses for yourself. I'm speaking at me as much as anybody else. But, but these are the things you have to do. You know, community is important. Being together as a group on Shabbat. It's important to do that and structure your lives around that. I'm not saying don't ever go on vacation or, you know, you're not going to be there every time. But like... It's, it should be the abnormality that you're not there, okay? It used to be that way. I mean, when growing up in our church, it was like, you know, most of the people that came to our congregation, like, they were there pretty regularly, you know? Um, anyways, this isn't a social club. You know, we're not here to feel good. I mean, it is enriching and uplifting, but we're here because we care about something bigger and greater, and that's God's kingdom, and, and incorporating these things and building these things into our life. And the only way that we can recondition our minds, because I know in myself, I'm a product of 2,000 years of Western culture and being indoctrinated day in and day out by everything modern day culture. And it has changed the way I think. And so that's why Paul says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you need to be in the world, but not of the world. Like, you're in it just because you kind of have to be, but not of the world by, by most all standards. And so, because if eventually what is coming, what we think is coming in the Mark of the Beast, be it 10 years or 100 years, whoever's around at that point is going to have to stand amidst pretty dire situation, you know. So... All right, uh, where am I? Okay, judgment, what we need to do. Seek good, hate evil. So, but, uh, 21, uh, 21 through 27 of chapter five. Oh yeah, this is a good section. <laughs> 21. Uh, well, let's back up to 20. Shall not the day of Yehovah be darkness? Okay, this is interesting. It says, I'm back up to 18. I find this interesting. Woe unto you that desire the day of Yehovah. <laughs> it's a good thing, but it's not a good thing. You know, it's like we've disobeyed and dad's, 
wait till your father gets home from work, you know. So, the day of Yahweh is darkness and not light. Uh, if a man did flee from a lion, a bear met him. Or went out of the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. <laughs> Shall not the day of Yahweh be darkness and not light? And very dark and no brightness in it. 21. This is where he just lays it on. I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I'll not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of the, thy viols. But let judgment run down as water, righteousness as a mighty stream. Have you offered me unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of Moloch and Huim, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Therefore, I will cause you to go in captivity beyond Damascus, saith Yehovah, whose name is God of the, the Lord, the God of hosts. So, they're going through the motions, but all the while, they've mixed in, and they're actually responding to this tabernacle of Moloch that they've born, the images they built, the star of their God, which they made to themselves. All these things that they have brought in, that they're getting their information from, and they're responding to, and they're engaging in. You know, they're, they're absorbing this culture, a la today, modern culture, and everything that we involve ourselves in and engage ourselves in, you know. It's like we think we're reaching, and, and not that, that, but that's the time to, not that we're not, you know, God isn't using online ministries or, you know, all these, these mediums. I think God works in spite of these things. But, you know, we think that we're doing a great thing. And these companies who operate these platforms, they love conspiracies. They love these people who put this stuff and watch it on it and get everybody to be on it and watch it because it keeps you on there and it keeps you out of your Bible and away from the people around you. You're just sitting there in front of a glowing screen. You're just another tool that's being used. So, you know, don't be naive, I guess is what I'm saying. Have discernment and judgment in your life to to really look around and what what's steering you, what's impacting you, what's influencing you, us, me. Okay, uh, where are we? For chapter six, we're making, we're getting there. Okay, so the people's state that they're in, six verse one, woe to them that are in ease in Zion, in trust in the mountain of Samaria, which is named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. So they are at ease. In Zion, they believe that their position is impermeable. They're safe. All things will keep going on as they've gone on. You know, we have fallen into that trap too, where we we tend to think like borders of nations as they're drawn will just stay that way because they've you know well they've been that way for two hundred years, which is a blip in the radar of history. You know, the world as it is today is really a miracle of stability. <laughs> only brought on because of the spread of, of, of the gospel and the word of God around the world as it has been. But that's quickly fading. And that's why we're seeing the chaos start to settle in that we're having now. So that they're, they're at ease in their Zion. They're comfortable. So we have to be really careful not to get comfortable. We have to be disciplined in our lives, stay vigilant, stay diligent, and stay spiritually fit. Uh, six, Keep, we're going to go down here a little bit. And um, 
verse 8, he's talking again about their state. They're in Zion, and God says, The Lord God has sworn by himself, saith the Lord of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, I will I deliver up the city and all that is therein. So even that which they build and have built for themselves, it's not what God intended. And he, he abhors that. He hates it. Why? Verse 12. Ye have turned judgment into gall and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. So they've turned what's supposed to be judgment and righteousness. They've turned into poison. It's, they flipped it exactly around into something that is killing them off. And, uh, you know, we have to be careful of that. Okay, keep going here. Uh, oh, verse, uh, chapter 7. Or, uh, yeah, chapter 7, I want to go to um, verse 7. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon the wall, and uh, a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and will not again pass by them any more. So he is getting to the point where he says, I am going to measure my people against the standard that I've given them and see how they measure up. And then you get down into chapter 8, verse 2. He says, uh, talking about the summer fruit, and God says, The end is come upon my people Israel. Why? Because talking about the state and the condition of the people and what's going on in their heart. Because even though they're, they're keeping the new moon as a Sabbath, they say in verse 5, When will the new moon be gone? That we may sell corn. And the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat and make the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsify the balances by deceit. So they want to get these things over with so they can go back to their corrupt ways. And we have to be real careful about our, the condition of our heart and, and whether or not you know, we're building our culture and our family base and the way we operate around the Word of God, or if we're just kind of following suit to fall suit but really, we just want to do whatever the HE double toothpicks we want to do. You know, what's the condition in the heart of the people? And you need to be skeptical of and, and, and uh, have some discernment about those who are teachers and influencers in, in and around you. You know, really, the only one that will care for you and know you personally is your local community. Internet people, ministers, they don't give a rip about you. I mean, they care. But they're not there living with you. When something goes wrong, you can't do anything, you know, face-to-face with them. That's why the local community is so important. Okay, keep going here. So the plumb line's coming. The end's coming. Why? Because they are weirdy by God's ways. And, uh... Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was eight five. They're they're yeah they're wearied by God's ways. So the cultural idols of the world have fully permeated God's people to the point that God's word and way wearies us. So what does God do? Fine, you don't want it. Good. Uh, chapter um, nine. So we're, uh, mm-hmm. 
No, I'm sorry, 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, chapter 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Verse 12. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north even to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of Yahweh and shall not find it. So he's like, you don't want what I've got for you? Fine. You're not going to get what I have for you. So there will be a famine of the word of God. So, um, oh, and then this part. He just, more judgment. <laughs> he just kind of elaborates more what he's going to do. Chapter 9. <coughs> uh I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door, and the posts may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. And that's pretty bad, you know, that's, that's not good. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. He that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. This is, this is it. Though they dig into hell, then shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, then shall I bring them down. Though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. <laughs> and though they go into captivity before their enemies, therefore I will command the sword, and it shall slay them, and I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. So it's bad. It's really bad. And I think uh, it's important um, that we, we contemplate on these things a bit, because... Uh, if you go, keep going in chapter 9, it says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth, saying, I will not, uh, saving, I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. So he's going to destroy wickedness off the earth, but he was not going to utterly destroy Jacob. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel from all the nations, like as corn is sifted in the seed, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. So there's a, there's a hint of good. He will preserve his people, the remnant. But you can't stop there. Uh, 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. So those who say peace, peace, and those who are like, well, I'm really glad I'm going to be out of here before that comes. I've got a, a client friend that he and I, he's a great guy and, uh, we have a good time and talk together, but he's a, he's a pre-trib Trevor, you know, thinks he's getting raptured out of here. And I'm like, I hope you're right, but I don't think so. And, and, and it's really bad. And especially when, and we're all sinners, but I, I think what it, it means here is not that we don't, you know, everyone who has ever sinned is going to be taken out by the sword. I don't believe that because there's nobody who doesn't sin. But those where sin is the characterization of their lifestyle and their you know, they say they believe in God, they say they serve God, they say they trust in God, but then they, but they don't do what he says. You know, there's going to be judgment on that. And, uh, and then final kind of redemption and hope. So 11. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins and build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all heathen which are called by thy name, saith Yehovah, that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith Yehovah, the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities, 
inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit thereof. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith Yahweh thy God. So he's going to plant them back in their land. But, and the reason why he says, I will raise up the tabernacle of David is because even though David committed adultery and murder, what he represented was a spiritually, a, the perfectly really well-manned man. This, he was spiritually strong and powerful in his walk in faith with God. He loved God with all his heart. He fell, but he got back up and he kept working hard to serve and obey God. But in his life, he lived and led as a king and a leader, strong leader should. He was shrewd. He was wise. Uh, he was tactical. You know, he, he lived it out on all levels. And that's why I believe that is, is God's, you know, the man after God's heart. And why the Bible always talks to him like your father David. Because he, he fully exemplified what we're supposed to be, men specifically, but people generally, before God. You know, it permeates, his relationship with God permeated his whole life. From the spiritual and his trust and his faith, but that was inseparable from what he actually did in his physical life. You know, he said, early will I see thee. He got up early. You know, he was strong. He had his mighty men around him. He could lead people. He could work with people. Uh, he made his mistakes, but he kept serving God. So that needs to be our example. And we need to seek God, do justice, and uh, be... Um, careful what you allow into your life, you know, analyze it all, you know, analyze yourself, analyze your life, be honest, brutally honest, and uh, it's a hard thing to do, and if you're having a hard time, ask your wife and she'll tell you, <laughs> or vice versa, and that's why God gives us others, that's why community is important, that's why family is important. You know, we need humility. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this day and your word and all that you do and provide and for the Sabbath and uh, help us just uh, uh, subjugate our will to you and live your word and your way and that you would bless in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise Freedom does not away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and your.